The Hawaiian Bible says, No kamea me kai ehova, maulona kono loko makai me kono, io io haanaa na una apao. For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. Since moving from Hawaii to beautiful Colorado, one of the greatest blessings about becoming a part of the orchard is seeing young children, older youth, young adults, senior citizens, loving God and loving people. And, and, and speaking of senior citizens, did you know that John Wesley preached over 40,000 sermons and traveled over 225,000 miles by horseback? Oh, he did this until he was 88 years old. Or did you know that George Mueller traveled over 200,000 miles preaching in six different languages to over three million people? Oh, and he did this between the ages of 70 and 87. Or did you know that Cam Townsend, the founder of Wycliffe Bible Translators, began learning the Russian language to assist in Bible translation work when he was 72 years old? Or did you know that Daniel was 80 years old when he was thrown in the lion's den? How about David Sizer? He enrolled in Bible college when he was 95 years old. He graduated and was preaching in prisons every week at the age of 101. So, for those of you who feel your future is behind you, take hope. You are never too old for God. But, but you may say, David, David, that, that's fine. That, that's fine for John Wesley or George Mueller or David Sizer. But I'm not John or George or David, and I'm tired. Well, you know, this morning, that, that's quite understandable. If you're of average weight and height, did you know what your body will go through in the next 24 hours? Your heart will beat 103,689 times. Your blood will travel 168 million miles throughout your body. You'll breathe 23,040 times. If you're a man, you'll speak about 4,800 words. If you're a woman, you'll speak about 7 million, oh, sorry, sorry, I mean, I mean about 7,000 words. You'll move about 750 muscles, and you'll exercise around 7 million brain cells. No wonder we're tired. But, but, but if you're tired, or if you know someone who's tired with all that's going on in our society, in our culture, and around the world, then, friend, I have some good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you notice who Jesus invited? Did you catch that? He invited those who were weary, those who were tired. Jesus didn't say, come to me, all you who are religious, and let's theologize. He, he didn't say, come to me, all who are wise, and let's philosophize. He invited those who were weary and worn out, and those who were discouraged and, and, and defeated. And, and, and did you notice that he didn't say, run to me? He simply said, come, stumble, walk, crawl, just come. Come any way you can, and I will give you rest. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, he wrote, The people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. The word exploits used in this passage literally means bold deeds and daring acts in the original Hebrew language. So how could John Wesley, George Mueller, Cam Townsend, and others overcome seemingly insurmountable odds and, and experience the victory in their own lives? Well, I'm glad you asked. They studied the Word of God. They studied the life of David and his mighty men found in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And that brings us to our text today. So if you have your Bible, grab it and, and, and turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 8. And if not, that's okay. We'll just read together 2 Samuel chapter 23 beginning in verse 8. The Bible says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joheshbashabeth, a Tachmanite. He was chief of the three. He welded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, verse 9, among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew. Verse 10, he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned after him only to strip the slain. And next to him was Shammah the son of Agi, the Herorite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils, and the men fled from the Philistines, verse 12. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Now, in this passage that we just read, it describes a season in David's life. 
It's season when he was being hunted by King Saul. Saul's all-consuming desire was to destroy David. And the Bible says that King Saul and his armies had David on the run. They had overrun the town of Bethlehem, and David and his boys were holed up in the Rephraim Valley. Where is that? Well, Bethlehem was about three miles to the south, and Jerusalem was about three miles to the north, and Saul could smell blood. So he sent out his crack warriors to finish off David once and for all. But, 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 but Saul made one big mistake. Saul underestimated the commitment that David's men had to their king. So the question is today, who were these men? These three guys we just, we just ran about. Well, once again, I'm glad you asked. Some were in trouble with the law. Some were hopelessly in debt. Others were looked down on because of their youth. Most of these guys were considered misfits in society, but, 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 but they all had one thing in common. They had complete and absolute devotion to their king, to King David. They spent time with their king. They knew their king, and they had faith in their king. And when they were faced with adversity, they didn't turn tail and run. So when the enemy surrounded them, what did they do? Well, the Bible says in verse 8, where we just read, that Joshabashabeth, he lifted up his spear and he slew 800 of the enemy at one time. The Bible says he lifted up his hands 800 times and overcame 800 enemy warriors single-handedly. 800 times. That's a lot of lifting of the hands. Try, for example, just lifting up a, a, a broom or a pole or a, a rod 800 times, maybe 10 pounds. These spears were much more than that. In 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul exhorted men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer. Do you, remember, do you remember the account in Exodus when Joshua was fighting against the enemy in the valley below? Do you remember whenever Moses lifted up his hands in prayer, how Joshua and his men prevailed over the enemy? Do you remember that? Do you remember when Moses let his hands down that the enemy began to prevail? But then when Moses lifted up his hands once again, how the enemy was defeated? So this brings us to our first principle in overcoming adversity. It's simply lifting up holy hands in prayer. Not just once, but over and over and over and over again. You may say, David, uh, my hands aren't holy. I don't even know how to pray. Well, if that's you, then I have good news for you today, my friend. First, the Bible says in 1 John that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so as Christians, our hands are holy 
in his sight. We're made clean. We're made clean. We're made holy by the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Second, did you catch that? His disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to pray, but, but simply to pray. God's not impressed with our oratorical skills. He's looking at our heart. So don't try to copy the prayers of, of others. You are unique and special in his sight. My wife, Robin, and I absolutely love living here in the Roaring Fork Valley. Now, now our home is small, less than 600 square feet, but we love it. And in our home, we have an art gallery. Original pieces of art, masterpieces. There's nothing like that anywhere around. Well, the art gallery, art gallery also happens to be the door of our refrigerator. And, and, and those pieces of art are drawn by our grandchildren and our godchildren. And they're unique. They're special. They were presented to us with love. And we are so grateful and thankful for them. Likewise, when we bring our prayers just the way we are, not concerned about our grammar, not concerned about syntax or dangling modifiers or any of that, when we come to God and just cry out to Him in desperation with tears coming down our face or jump and leap and dance for joy because of His blessings, He's pleased. He loves us. He's honoring well, the first principle in overcoming adversity then is faithfulness in prayer. Lifting up holy hands in prayer. Not just once, not just twice, but over and over again. Next, we read in our passage about Eleazar, the son of Dodo. This guy had to be mighty just to survive with that last name. But the Bible says that Eleazar hung on so tight to his sword that when the battle was over, the victory was won, Eleazar's hand was weary and clung to the sword. The King James Version reads, his hand clave to the sword. The Hebrew word for clave is yada. The first time we find this word yada is back in Genesis. It describes the intimacy between Adam and Eve. And likewise, God wants us to know him intimately. So the second key principle in overcoming adversity is faithfulness in the word. Or we oughta yada, knowing him intimately. Now the Bible says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The sword, as you Bible scholars know, represents the Bible, the Word of God. And the spear represents our prayers to the God of the Word. So it's one thing to know the Word of God, but it's another thing to know the God of the Word. Prayer 
and reading the word. They go together like the left and the right wing of a plane. You need them both. The third key principle seen in the, is seen in the life of Shammah that we just read. We read in verse 11 about his faithfulness in service. I, I love the story of Shammah. I can imagine Shammah approaching David. Now, we don't know exactly how this happened, but perhaps Shammah came up to David with his sword in one hand, with his spear in the other hand, and he said, David, I'm ready to, to fight. I'm ready to serve on the front lines. I'll go to the northern front. I'll go to the western front. I'll do anything you want. Just send me out, coach. Send me out. I'm ready to go to war. I'm ready to serve. And I imagine David looking at Shammah and saying, okay, Shammah, you're willing to do anything? And Shammah said, yes, sir, I'm ready to go. Send me out. And David said to Shammah, Shammah, I'd like you to go back. Go back to the kitchen and guard the beans. <laughs> that, that word lentils in the King James version of the Bible is simply a, food for, a word for food or provision or for beans, if you will. And I can picture Shammah going back with his sword dragging along the ground, his spear dragging along the ground, his head hung down, dejected, not being able to go out with the warriors to the front lines, but sent back to the rear area to guard the beans. Well, the Bible says that the enemy broke through the front lines. And the enemy went right to the kitchen where Shammah was, and Shammah became the best bean garter in the history of the world. He stood in the midst of the ground, defended it, and there was a great victory because he did the job that his king had asked him to do. What job has your king called you to do? Whatever that is, stand your ground and be the best perhaps as a construction worker, maybe as a school teacher, maybe as a homemaker, maybe as an office worker, whatever it is, be the best. That's your ministry. Be faithful in the service to your king. Do the job that you've been called to do. I think of another young man by the name of Tom Benton. Tom grew up in another beautiful village, much like the villages here in the Roaring Fork Valley, uh, Roaring Fork Valley but, but it wasn't the Roaring Fork Valley. It wasn't the Rocky Mountains. It was a small village called Sonora in the Sierra Nevada Mountains of California. After graduating from high school, Tom joined the United States Marine Corps. His first station was in Hawaii. And there, Tom met another young Marine, also from California. They became the best of friends. Every weekend they would go surfing or skin diving or just hanging out on the beach together. And every Sunday morning Tom's friend would go to church. Tom's friend invited him to come to church, but Tom said, no, I've never been to church in my life. I'm a Marine. I'm tough. I'm not interested in religion. I'm not interested in God. But you go ahead and I'll meet you at the beach afterwards. This went on week after week. Tom's friend put a Bible on this bunk in the barracks. He put a gospel tract down the muzzle of his, of his rifle in his locker. He tried everything. He tried to share his faith, but it seemingly went nowhere. This went on week after week, month after month. Finally, nine months later, Tom said, okay, I'll go to church with you tomorrow. 
Tom's friend was so surprised, so excited. He said, he said, Tom, was it the Bible I gave you? And Tom said, no, I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in religion. I'm not interested in God. But I'll go to church with you, just as Pastor Daniel has said, because you're my best friend. As Pastor Daniel has said, people really don't care how much we know until they know how much we care. He went to church. He heard the gospel presented in a powerful way. He couldn't wait for the service to be over, to come down, shake hands with the pastor and say, Pastor, I want to ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart, to be my Lord, to be my Savior. That Sunday morning, he became a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. He was born again. The very next Sunday, he was baptized. And less than a week after that, the two young Marines were surprised when they were ordered immediately to report to the airport to get on a military transport and to fly to Vietnam. It was September of 1967 when Tom and his friend arrived in Vietnam. The war was raging. Tom was assigned duty on the top of a small hill called Con Tien. His friend was assigned at the perimeter of that small hill with a handful of other Marines. Eleven days after arriving on that small hill, the stillness of the, of the night was shattered by the screaming of rockets, mortars, artillery shells coming in in the largest offensive ever amassed against American troops in the history of the Vietnam War up to that point. Soon that was mixed with the screaming of young Marines being killed, wounded in battle. And then wave after wave of enemy North Vietnamese troops started rushing up that hill. Those Marines were hopelessly outnumbered. And Tom Benton knew that situation. From the relative safety of his foxhole on the top of that hill, he prayed this prayer. Dear God, give me the strength to do the job that I've been trained to do. And with that, he jumped up out of the relative safety. That foxhole ran across the top of that little hill, dropping mortars down that tube, giving supporting fire to those Marines at the bottom of the hill. They were fighting for their lives. They were engaged in hand-to-hand -hand combat. The inevitable happened. A rocket came screaming in, landed at Tom's feet, exploded, and killed him instantly. But another Marine took his position, he too was killed, and finally a third ran up giving supporting fire to those Marines down at the bottom of that hill. When the sun came up the next morning, that little hill, Con Tien, was still in Marine Corps hands. One of the most difficult things I've ever had to do was to walk up to the top of that hill when the battle was over and to help put the body of my best friend, Tom Benton, into that plastic bag to be sent back home to America for a Christian burial. As you probably have surmised by now, I was that other Marine back in Hawaii, Tom's friend who stumbled and bumbled and tried for nine months to introduce him to Jesus Christ. Tom gave his life so that others might live that night and a fortunate few of us would be able to return back home to this great country. 
But 2,000 years ago, another man voluntarily walked up to the top of a small hill and voluntarily allowed others to nail him to the cross and voluntarily gave his life for you and for me. Not only so that we would be victorious in battle, but he gave his life so that we would not have to fight anymore. The Bible says, set yourselves apart. Stand ye still. The battle is not yours. It's mine, saith the Lord God of hosts. I love it. We're free. We're free indeed. So if you're going through a time of adversity right now, know this. God is in control. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't question what God is doing. The great evangelist D.L. Moody said, God can do a lot with a little if he has all there is of that little. So first, my friend, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in the word. Be faithful in service. Be faithful wherever he has planted you. Stand your ground. And if, if, if you apply these three principles in your life, you will overcome whatever adversity the enemy throws your way. You watch. You wait. You'll see. So love God radically. Trust God courageously. Serve Him joyfully. Why? Because His plans for you are good. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. Oh,